Andrew is the Aussie bloke living in the US. Heather is the American gal living in Australia. Together, they travel the world sharing strategies on how to put your business on autopilot. Doing business online is no longer about having a website. To get more clients and take care of the ones you have, you will need a map. They've got it. So sit back and relax and welcome aboard. This flight is bound to autopilot your business. In this podcast, we're talking about why you should be building a community. Make sure to grab our free business automation guide now and get access to other special bonuses. Head on over to aybpodcast.com. Hey, everybody. This is Andrew McCauley. Welcome to podcast number 89. Today, we are talking about building a community. What do you need to do? Why is it so important in this day and age and why and how it's going to affect your business as well? Now, of course, I have the amazing Heather Porter on the line. Hello, H. Oh, I've graduated to amazing. <laughs> well, somebody else called you lovely today, and I thought, wow, they're, right. take, they're stealing my thunder. I better change my vocabulary. It's a good one. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I am uh, been busy out. I was actually out at a luncheon today uh, for a local chamber event, and um, great to meet a whole bunch of new business people out there, all still suffering the same inflictions with internet marketing and getting that overwhelm. So uh, it's good to, um, not good that they're doing that, but it's just good to see that uh, everyone seems to be in the same boat these days with all the new changes that are going on. How about you? What's been going on? I've pretty much been in the office, the home office, working, pumping away at multiple websites this week. So not too much excitement to share. (laughs) Exciting for the website owners though. Very exciting for them. Yeah, we launched yeah. a few. So they're already, um, you know what I love to see? There's one of them we just launched. And within the first day, I think 24 hours, she had written a blog. So she used the training that I provided, wrote a blog, already got Facebook shares, like more views on that page than the homepage of the brand new website. I I love when people just, they take the ownership of their mm-hmm. websites and they just get so excited and go out and do something with it. It's great. It is good. It really is good. So, yes. um, So what did you learn this week? So what did I learn? Well, this is this is quite cool because we every week we do our little online TV show called Make It Simple TV and we do that using Google Hangouts and we're huge advocates of of Hangouts because it's such a great platform to do webinars in your business as well. So, Google has released an app and this little app basically you download and it sits on your desktop and it has a couple of things that it allows you to easily just click into Hangouts and join Hangouts and, um, you know, participate in in them from your desktop instead of having to log into Google+, instead of having to go to multiple windows, all this sort of tedious stuff from before. And also it has a little chat functionality. So in Google+, you can actually, with your followers, uh, you can talk, uh, do a little live chat, kind of like what you do in Facebook. So it's allowing you to do that straight from your desktop as well. What do you think about that? What do you think is the reason that Google came up and said, hey, let's do that without having to go through the browser? I think because the accessibility, uh, from what I found, it confuses people because they have YouTube and then they have Gmail and they have Google Plus. And then to get there, you have to log into Google and then you have to go from that little top right icon into Google Plus. And it's, I don't know, I, I found it's a confusion thing. So I think that this is probably something where they're looking at it like its own identity now more than ever. So by having an app that's a Google Plus Hangout sort of app or chat app. It just makes it more accessible and easier to understand and use. Mm. 
Mm, interesting. Yes. <laughs> You'll have to download it and have a little look at that because it's just come out. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet either. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how it goes and see how the functionality works too. Exactly. Hmm. Now, what about you? Any cool learnings? You know what? There's a big one I had and I haven't even shared this with you yet. And I think this is going to uh, be a very interesting development, especially for social media. And that mm-hmm. is that in France this week, France or France, depends where France. you come from, um, people who use Twitter in France or France can now transfer money through tweets. First of all, how could that be possible? How do you, did you, it's obviously you'd have to hook up your Twitter account to your bank account or well, PayPal or something. That's, that's a good question. I think they use it through an electronic money subsidiary. I'm not sure exactly the technology, but oh. the biggest, uh, one of the biggest banks in France, um, BPCE, whatever that stands for, uh, is allowing people to transfer money through tweets. So Why think do you of, think you need that in the first place? Well, that's a good <laughs> question. Why do you need it? Yeah, but I'm then again, curious. why would you need a home computer on your desktop, said somebody back in 1978? <laughs> um, why would you need a phone that you can carry around with you everywhere? That's just silly. Yeah. Um, and then look at what's happened. So uh, that is a good question. Why would you need that? But have a think about this. Um, we're all talking about our phone right now and we're carrying our phone. It's probably the first thing we check to see if we've got before our wallet now. Mm. Um, I, uh, now this is certainly not no technological breakthrough, but I, I got a Starbucks card the other day and uh, a gift card in the mail and I loaded it up onto a Starbucks app. I know I don't use Starbucks cards normally, but I um, load up onto an app and it's on my phone and this app, um, it says, where, where are your favorite Starbucks that you regularly go to? So I selected a few. And um, when I'm near those Starbucks, a little badge icon pops up on, the ho- on my home screen. It says, hey, you're near the Starbucks. Do you want to go and <laughs> buy a coffee? Oh right? God. And then, so anyway, I went out this day and I forgot my wallet. In fact, I didn't forget it. It was in the other car that my wife was driving and she wasn't even home. So I'm like, wow, I'm going out to meet somebody at Starbucks uh, and I haven't got any money. But hang on a minute, I've got my phone. So I didn't even need my wallet. I went to Starbucks. I showed my phone. I paid for it. They did a quick scan of my um, card on my phone. Done. Everything was paid for. I didn't need my wallet. So this may mean that you may have separate accounts. You may have a Twitter account that has a certain amount of money on it that you can tweet to people if that's your preferred method. I don't know why or how, but it just begs the question that if Twitter's doing it, you can bet your life that Facebook are going to want to do it. And so with Google Plus and all these others. And I really think that um, wallets will be obsolete. No purses, wallets. Yeah. Why? Why? And then, and then, then we're going to talk about the introduction of um, the i, not the iPhone, the iWatch, you know, and, and pay, uh, iTunes payments, which is coming very soon. Um, I already know over here in terms of, um, iTunes or Apple Payments, I think it's called, uh, at the local bank here at Wells Fargo, as you do a drive-through, because we have drive-through banks everywhere over here, that um, there's a big sign on their on their screen saying Apple Payments are coming to this bank very, very soon, which means that you can start paying with Apple. So I just think there's going to be a multitude of places <clears throat> that you can pay your bills from. So, wow. you know, you know, you go shopping and you might say, well, I'm going to go to the local grocery store. 
I think I'll just tweet them my my um my payment details. Well, you were saying earlier in one of your what you learned that in Twitter there's payment buttons, buy now buttons, right? That it's coming out and, and Facebook all part and, of and Facebook now too. Facebook now too, yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's just kind of gearing up for that. Where if you have a buy now button on a tweet, you can literally just do the transaction right there. Yeah, I really think we're moving towards a cashless society. Yeah, uh, and. Um, and this is just another method. Now, whether it works or not, who knows? Why did they pick France? I don't know. Maybe the bank was keen to see how it works. Mm. Um, but yeah, watch this space. It's going to be an interesting, interesting thing. I'm, I'm still, jury's still out about that. Um, but until I'm proven different, who am I to <laughs> knock it on the head, you know? Interesting thing. So I love this little topic that we're going to talk about. Earlier today, we were just having a conversation around this. And so Andrew and I, obviously, we've said this sometimes in our shows, but we have a big history of working in the speaking industry. Um, Yes, we are speakers now ourselves, but back then we were more behind the scenes. So we'd work with the promoters and then the crew. And we've seen a lot of interesting things in the in the speaking industry, everything from being involved in 10,000 person seminars to less. And Part of the conversation this morning with with one of the people that we worked with, she was saying, look, it's gotten really hard out there for for the speakers, for the speaking industry, because now people aren't showing up. There's like, you know, 20 percent show rates at events and, and crazy things like that. And what we were commenting on is the reason why is because in the past, speakers didn't really I don't know, they didn't really build a tribe or care as much about a community. They more thought about numbers. Remember, Andrew, like with with seminars, you'd have a sheet and you'd be crunching. Okay, well, if I get these amount of people in the room, it's going to be this conversion. You just saw everybody as a number. Yeah. Like a person. (laughs) You know what they, the thing what they did was they used the speaking platform as the very first introduction to those, to themselves. So, you know, speaker A would go out and say, well, no one knows me. I'm going to go and speak. People are going to like me and then they're Mm -hmm. going to buy my stuff. They're going to connect with me however they, they connect. Uh, and then I'll build my community and my tribe after I do my speaking gig. So the 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 process was go and speak first uh, in front of nobody you know, and then they'll get to know who you are and uh, your tribe will build that way. But that's certainly changed. And, and a big part of that as well as, as speakers were coming up through the ranks was that um, – you wouldn't actually care about the follow-up. There'd be all this hype to get people into the room and then they they buy your stuff and then there's a huge fallout after that point as far as follow-up of where really genuinely caring about the person and where they went after the you know after the seminar. So I know seminars don't apply to everything, but what we're talking about does. It's um it's turning around what how you're thinking about what you, how you're doing business and looking at developing a community around you of of and you know Seth Godin said tribe build a tribe. And what does that mean? And Andrew and I have some great little stories and examples of what we've noticed over the years in, in working with businesses and businesses in our own business, just some cool things we want to share with you guys. Yeah, 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 definitely. Definitely. So I know that, um, you, you had a whole other life of working in pubs in, in Australia and a big part of what you did and saw and witnessed was the, the, the turnaround in these pubs, like literally taking them from almost being empty to having a big raving following of people. What, what are some of the things that you noticed around, you know, what happened there to build that community? Yeah, I guess, um, uh, one of the big things was that, uh, it wasn't, it's not one person that will bring business to a, to a hotel or a pub. You know, if you're listening in another country, a pub is basically a hotel 
uh, where a big big part of the Australian culture is that you would take your family to a hotel. Mm -hmm. uh, there was you know restaurants that would look after kids. In fact, a lot of the, the successful hotels had big kid playgrounds. You know they'd go there and they and do. So yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't a sleaze dive bar. It wasn't a place where you know there was all walls and no windows. You know a lot of it was open and um it, and it's a very popular and uh, good place to go general, most of the time. So th there was no one person or one thing that would bring everybody to your pub. I mean you might have a band on some nights that would bring people. You might have a, a good act or a um, nice meal or something like that that would bring people. But ultimately, it was the team that you had working that created the entire experience of the night. You know, um, there was never a bad review written that said, this place had awesome customer service and everything was perfect except the band. You know, mm -hmm. most of the bad reviews always went around the staff or the experience of people when they went to the hotel. So, you know, oh, we got there and my food was cold, the waiter was rude, I had to wait in line and so on and so on. All of those things boiled down to interaction and engagement from the people that were working at the hotel. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, it was extremely important to have a good team of people that were connecting and engaging with the customers that were coming in. And often we would have, oh, you know, is Johnny working tonight? Because we love seeing Johnny. Um, now, Johnny was a part of the experience, but there was everybody else that was supporting Johnny that made that experience possible, mm. if that makes sense. So so what we, what we noticed was that the more team-oriented your um, staff were, the more the people wanted to come because then they started feeling like they knew everybody that worked there, not just one person, but they knew if Mary was working in the bistro or um, David was working on the bar or um, Jenny was working in the bottle shop. There was there was a community of when I go there, they get to know who I am, they know my name, um, and I feel like I belong there. You, you've brought up an interesting point around the actual employees, the staff, as being a community. Um they like the fact that they were tight knit created an extension of the business rather than just, I mean, like you're saying, they were, they knew the name of a particular employee and they were excited to be there because of that person. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole community going on within these hotels then of, well, of the staff. There was, there were really two communities. There was the community yeah. of staff, which the staff got on like family. Cause if you had a good community of staff, they would mm -hmm. all, they would all um, enjoy each other's company when they weren't working. But then you've got the community of guests or um, um, clients that come in through the door and they would feel at home because the staff would know who those those clients were. They'd know them by name. And um, so so you get, we get a lot of people walking in the door and the first thing, if you can remember somebody's name, instantly they feel like they belong. And, you know, yeah. and I guess we'll talk about how this transfers onto online marketing soon. But, um, but the point is that we concentrated on building a community so that People felt at home. They wanted to come and visit the hotel. They felt good, and um, they were buying stuff. Sometimes they probably they stayed longer and bought more because they felt like they were at home anyway. It's really it really is a mindset sort of thing. I, I mean, I remember when I worked for a magazine in San Diego when I lived there, and it was called Revolt in Style. It was a sort of um, I guess lifestyle 
magazine, free magazine that was on print and distributed around San Diego to coffee shops and, you know, retail stores and things like that. And, um, the, the way the magazine made money, of course, was through advertising, and that was all about distribution. So I remember when I came on board, and I was sort of a, a fashion editor at the time, and thinking we were brainstorming with with editor and the sub-editor and talking about, well, how do we get this magazine out there more? Because at this point, you have drop points, and you basically go out to, say, a coffee shop, and you drop your magazines there in the corner. And what we started to come up with is, why can't we build a community of all the different businesses that have our magazines. So they actually are have are, are bought in to the vision of the magazine and then they're excited to actually promote it when it comes out. So we, then we started to actually go in and get to know them and their employees. And then we'd also have little events for them and, you know, come on over, have a glass of wine and some cheese down the street at our, at our place. Mm-hmm. So we just started to think bigger again. This again wasn't necessarily about the consumer or the the, the person that would be advertiser. This was about the person that was in the middle that we wanted to build the community up for. And once we started doing that, then it just like you're saying, it become it became a bit of a family. And then Revolt sort of started to carry a bit of a a funky underground name for itself. It's like, oh, you want to be a part of the Revolt crew, you know? Mm-hmm. There yeah. are even T-shirts we started printing as a result of it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's you know, that's really that's fascinating that it, that it happened like that. And you know, one of the the side things for me, and I know this podcast is not about hotels and pubs and staffing, but a side thing for me was. Um, in, in hotels, a lot of the people that work there are students. So mm-hmm. they're transient. They really are transient staff, meaning that um, they're there for a short time. They're there for a couple of months while they're at university. They're there for a couple of months while they're in between jobs. Um, at best, you might get a year or two out of them while they're studying for university. But um, a lot of them are in a couldn't care less attitude because it's, you know, it's just a means to an end, like getting through That's university. Right. They work at nighttime. It's appropriate for them to work because – during the day, they got school and so on. But what I was finding when when you had an awesome community of staff, they didn't want to miss out on work either, right? So yep. they were like, hey, I'm not going to go because my friends are working. We're all working together. We're all hanging out. Um, if I stay home, I'm going to miss out on hanging out with my friends. So it also served a purpose of me not having to scratch around looking for staff at the last minute on a Saturday night, which often happens in hotels when you've got a non-communal um, environment. Brilliant. So here's another thing I want to bring up then back into the community. So then there was a time when I worked for Tony Robbins, I did that for a few years in San Diego as well. And one of the biggest eye opening things for me was how people would come and fly themselves around the world to volunteer their time at an event in some cases that would be for five, six or seven days long. I was absolutely amazed at this when I first started working for Tony because I, I didn't even know who Tony Robbins was, by the way. I was in university, had an international business degree and I'm like, ah, oh, Robbins Research International, what's that? <laughs> didn't even know what he was all about. So bit of an eye opener there. But but what what I really gathered from my experience working there was the, again, the sense of community, the entire crew, the volunteer team that was built up around the entire organization is what drove the business forward and also brought other people into the seminars as well. It was such a tight knit community. And then there was full sub leaderships and sub teams that were formed within the the actual volunteer crew and rewards. Um, there were like points, there's all sorts of things to actually give these volunteers something to be a part of and mm. feel proud and, and, and almost even KPIs internally of that as well. 
Yeah, I had some experience with some crew once. Yes. <laughs> I think we both did. <laughs> yes. What was your experience? Uh, it was just a what did you learn? It was a small experience, but I had um I I obviously did some crewing stuff, same as you, and and you know, I started I was even I was in hotels when I first did my first volunteer day at an event and I was still managing hotels and here I am like I'm pretty I was a fairly highly paid manager and um I snuck out on my day off to go and volunteer for free and people were like what are you doing and it, <laughs> and it wasn't a personal development seminar it was actually a business seminar there was a bunch of business salespeople, and I thought you know what I don't want to um I was I was not interested in paying there was a it was a fairly hefty price tag this is back the days of multi-speaker events and I don't think uh, the very early days of multi-speaker events where there's probably about six or seven speakers in a day um, and there wasn't a lot of sales going on. I couldn't see that, um, but I didn't want to pay the high price ticket. So I said, hey, I'll go and help out. So they said, yeah, sure, no problem. And that's what got me into this crewing part in the first place. But then you're right. I um, I took over from uh, somebody called Heather Porter as a yeah. crew director <laughs> for another company, another personal yeah. development company. And I did that for five years for three mm. companies in three different countries all at the same time. And um, But you're right. People flew amazingly, spent thousands of dollars to fly from, you know, London to Bali to crew. Or they would fly from Australia to Hawaii to go and crew at an event where they didn't get paid. They didn't get the hotels paid for. The, the flights weren't paid. They didn't even get food paid <laughs> for. They, didn't, they yeah. didn't get food. And they worked from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. at night. Now, yep. now, did they come back and do that again? Hell yeah. Why? Because they loved the community. But one of the biggest things I learned, H, about, about this was mm. even in the, smaller, in the smaller events that were three days long, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they were long hours, 8 till midnight almost, mm-hmm. 8 till midnight every day. Um, there was people that would come to these events and they would crew every time it was in their city. So they didn't fly. They didn't want to pay for the flying and that's, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But they would come to these events and they were so pumped to be at these events because of the community of crew that were there. This community was their new lifeblood. It was almost like a, a shot in the arm from their dreary, normal day-to-day life. So they would put yeah. on their calendar, they would be at a job that they didn't like, that was was unfulfilling, and uh, it wasn't that exciting. And and I got told this countless times on a Sunday night after the event. They said, you know what, we've just worked more in three days than I have in the last entire week for my normal job. I am mm-hmm. so tired, but I'll do it again tomorrow because I've had such an amazing time. Even though I didn't see what was going on in the room a lot, the community, the people I've met, and the excitement that I've got from just those three days is been has been amazing. So um, we knew, and I think, I mean, you you definitely started the ball rolling on that, and and I just um, you know carried on with it. But that that sense of community building was the most important thing to successful volunteers coming back for more. And something that is so powerful, what you said there about having their dreary day or their dreary normal life somehow be lifted as a, as a result of being around this group mm. um, is very important. And I think is actually the key to this conversation and how that is actually something that most businesses could strive for with everybody that comes across them. And, and like I was saying before, not just thinking about your customer, but thinking about your staff, thinking about your distributors, everybody that's in between as well. 
because once you start to develop a bit of um of that family, it's hard to leave. I mean, I know that I stayed in the industry for way longer than I thought I would, and only because of my team, the people mm-hmm. around me. I didn't want to leave them. Yeah. Um, and that that it creates incredible. Uh, it's it's such a great thing for any business owner. So. You know, some of the things I saw, how did how did these businesses that we worked with and been around, how did they actually do this? How do they create the community? And and one thing is, is um, you know, a lot of businesses have affiliates or, or joint venture partners, people that are basically recommending your services in exchange for something, whether it's contra deals or it's, uh, you know, commissions. And I've seen a lot of people, it's, it's weird. They almost expect affiliates to promote their business mm-hmm. and they don't respect them. It's really, <laughs> it's really bizarre. So one thing that anybody can do online in their business. If you have other people promoting your your services, how can you actually bring them in as your own internal community, your own raving fans? Um, webinars, events for them, little gifts. There's so much you can do to actually make them feel a part of a family and also greatly respected. I know that with Andrew, you and I started an online master plan series, which is sort of a, a, a delegation and social media um, delegation course and something that we're starting. We have some affiliates there that help promote it. And um, we did a little video, all of us, all the mentors in the group, we sat down and did a little video um, just telling them certain things about us and how we're very grateful that they're a part of it. So just be thinking that's just, I mean, obviously one little tip of the iceberg, but be thinking about your your team of people that promote your business and how can you bring them in closer and give them things that not necessarily the public has access to. Yeah, I love you. I love you said that. That that you're right. People don't um, get that JVs are almost your staff. In, yeah. in fact, sometimes they are bigger than your staff because they're the people yep. that are driving the traffic to your site. And if you haven't got a joint venture partner already and you're trying to do it yourself, it's almost like having a, a hotel, a pub, and you're the barman, the bottle washer, the cook, the chef, and everything else trying to do it yourself. You need people, your heroes, your people who are supporting you, to um to be able to do that and start thinking of, thinking of them as staff. Like, how can you make their job easier? Yeah, because, you know, my staff would come to me at the hotel and they'd say, oh, you know, this is really hard. We're doing this a really this complex way of doing something. So we'd look at it and make it easier. Same with an affiliate or a joint venture. How can I make that easier for them and so that they say, I want to come to work. I want to go and promote you. I want to go and do more because I love what I do and I'm feeling that sense of community. Absolutely. Another thing you can do. So looking at your staff, like you were talking about in in the hotels, having that that staff wanting to hang out with each other, you know, and and wanting to be there on the Friday night together. Mm -hmm. Um, Having education or creating an environment where your staff can hang out is is powerful. So, So let's start with education. So obviously, if you are getting if you're learning about things that really are important to you and your company or your staff or or, sorry, your um, manager gives you those resources to continue with your development, that's pretty powerful. And I know that working for some of these speakers, a big part of what we got were tickets to go to those events and they would fly us there. They'd put us up and every year we'd get some sort of personal development that was part of it. Um, And that was a huge part of it because you'd always look forward to that and you'd always feel like, Oh, they got my back. They care about me as a human being, you know, Um, community for your staff as well. Like I've seen this done really well. There's this, actually one of our clients right now, who's a lawyer or a solicitor, she has in her office in Sydney CBD every, um, I think it's Friday. And a lot of, a lot of businesses do this in Sydney and probably Australia and worldwide, but they have this little like cheese and beer and champagne Friday afternoon. 
appreciation session, right? So you have to leave your desk and you have to come over and they lay out a spread and you just spend an hour together at the end of the week, just getting to know each other. Mm. You know, you're forced to leave your desk and the boss tells you you have to leave your desk and then they're giving you booze. (laughs) (laughs) And they're lawyers. I love it. (laughs) Oh, that's not surprising. <laughs> no, no, no. But um, so that's just internal. That's just that their own team, right? That's not for their, their customers. Own team. Yeah, not. But but you brought up a good point. Why not even open that up for customers as well? Yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. you yeah. know. Um, so like yeah, just I think and you as a brand as well. If if you're if you're your own boss and you're your you're freelancer or solopreneur, um, then sorry, I'm laughing at that word. Andrew, you came up with a funny thing about that solopreneur or, um, you know, if you're out there and you are the brand, you are the business and you are the only touch point. Well, what can you do for every single person that you come across to build a bit of a tribe? I mean, is it, I talked about this in the customer service episode where one of the um, crew directors for Tony Robbins wrote personal cards mm. to everybody. Could you write cards? Are there little things that you could remember? Um, here's a great story. An example of that Belinda Yabsley was a woman that um, I crossed paths with now five, six years ago, maybe she was the number one saleswoman for Mercedes Benz Australia. And she wasn't there straight away at the start, she got there from building a community around her, a relationship. So she actually sent out cards. She kept a database on on people and their own personal likes. And, you know, if it, if it was somebody's anniversary, she'd actually send them a, a card to say, hey, happy anniversary. Mm-hmm. So after a couple of years of doing this, she had this whole sort of base of people that loved her. And when it came time for them to buy a new car, who do you think they went to? Mm-hmm. So thinking about these these potential clients as as people, you know, and really caring about them, building up that community and that because she did that, she was number one salesperson. Mm, Definitely. I've heard stories about that, too. And it's amazing Mm. that that sort of stuff, it doesn't take a lot of effort, can really can really change the way that you do things. So um, that's awesome. Yeah. So I guess I just would leave the question with everybody. What do you stand for? You know, we're Andrew and I are working on that ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, then, but ultimately, what do you stand for? You know, what do you what what's worth fighting for? And and that's going to help build that tribe or community around you. If you look at the pubs and you look at the at Tony Robbins and all these individuals, they all ultimately stood for something, which was to pretty much create an environment or space for fun, for, um, you know, betterment of humanity, whatever it is. Right. And they created that space and they were very clear about that. And then they opened their doors to allow people to come in and be a part of that. Yeah. And I just think yeah, if, if you're listening out there, it's how do you build the community? There was a book written um, last year called Pendulum. And Pendulum talks about the cycles that the Western society goes through. We go through a cycle of I, meaning it's all about the one person and it's all about singular um, concentration. And then it's the pendulum shifts over to the we or the, the we being community. And right now we're in a massive community swing. So everything we're doing is all about how do we do things together? You know, all of a sudden we're seeing a lot of communal groups out there, a lot of worldwide connected groups um, that are trying to get together because they want to be joining a community. And it's a fascinating book. So if you ever get a chance to have a read of it, uh, Pendulum by Roy Williams. It's Roy Williams and um, Michael Drew. Cool. I remember you told me about that book and it looks has some fascinating concepts in it, actually. Yeah. So if you get a chance to have a look, but it all talks about this whole community thing. Why are we going towards community right now? 
And the Seth Godin book is great about tribes. I think it's called Tribes, maybe just one word, Tribes. Just Google Seth Godin and Tribes. And that's all about um, businesses thinking about how can you create a platform for a movement Mm -hmm. versus just thinking about your your dollar, you know, bottom bottom line. So it's interesting. It's good good little books, resources for you guys. There you go. I think we've almost uh, come to our time. That That went flew tonight. Today. <laughs> Today, tonight, wherever you are. Yeah. Um, yeah, guys. So we would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, come on over to aybpodcast.com and 89 episode is this one. And you can have some show notes in there and um, probably not a lot of links in this show, but we'd love to hear what you think. So pop us a little comment, share this episode if it made a difference for your business. And of course, find us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and I'm sure there's some others out there. <laughs> Very good. And if you want to become part of our community, digital digitaltrafficinstitute.com. It's our community. Come and check it out. We can give you a free, uh, actually, digitaltrafficinstitute.com forward slash bonus. Yes. Forward slash bonus. Uh, that will give you a 14-day free trial. Jump in. Come and check us out. We're doing a uh, we're doing a live call every two weeks uh, on a Thursday in the US or Friday in Australia. Jump in. That 14 days will give you enough time to at least see one of those calls and check out the rest of our content that we've got in there. Love to cool. see you there. We'd love to see you guys. Thank right, you. Lovely. Talk to you. Uh, talk to you next time. Sounds good. Bye, guys. Bye. All passengers and cabin crew should now be seated with their seatbelt securely fastened. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the first officer speaking. On behalf of your captains, Andrew McCauley and Heather Porter, we would like to thank you for taking the journey with us to autopilot your business. You are now closer to putting your own business on autopilot using the internet. Of course, if you would like to rack up some frequent flyer points, visit our website, www.autopilotyourbusiness.com, or check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash autopilotyourbusiness. These frequent flyer points are totally useless, but the information is gold. Until we fly again, happy travels.